Good morning, church. This morning as I was coming in, I had parked out in the back of the parking lot, that's where I usually park, took a few steps through the parking lot, and found myself doing my best impression of one of the bad guys in Home Alone. I was just slipping and slipping and slipping and trying to control myself in an awkward position and ended up falling down. Thank you. Thank you. There's been a few people that have experienced that over the last few weeks, so I just wanted to say, be careful out there. Uh, it can be a little bit of an ice rink. A few years ago, there was a Super Bowl uh, that I was watching with uh, some kids in the youth group I was serving at the time. And we were out at, this, uh, at the preacher's house, and we were watching the game. And there was this really interesting commercial where Paul Harvey was talking about farmers. And I responded to that commercial, oh, that's, that's okay. And the people in the room were crying. These were farmers, these were people that were moved by this commercial, people that really appreciated what was being said. And a lady who lived at the home and uh, who I had known for a while told me that I was hard-hearted because I did not respond by crying to that commercial. Now what they meant by that was that my emotions were not in line with the material that we had just seen, with the commercial that we had just seen. Her idea was that if that commercial does not move you, nothing will. You just have a hard heart. Unless we're talking about the blood pumping organ that we all have, when we are talking about the heart, we are speaking of a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that is different in our culture than it was in the culture of ancient Palestine. The problem in our culture, the way that it's expressed in 2019 in the USA, is that the heart is the seat of emotions. The heart is the thing that makes you cry. The heart is the thing that makes you happy when something good happens. The heart is the seat of emotions. So when they were telling me that I should have cried when watching this commercial, they were saying that I have a hard heart, according to our definition. But in Palestine, about 4,000 years ago, in 2019 BC, that's not what they meant by heart. Part of the definition of heart, this isn't a full definition, but part of the definition is that the heart is the seat of the will. The heart is the deepest part of our being. The heart in the Bible is where we make decisions. And it's not just rational decisions, it's the place from which all decisions flow. The heart is the place where God confronts who we really are. That's a lot different than what we mean by heart. But I think it's important that we kind of understand that as we get going this morning. When you study the Bible, when you study the word heart in the Bible, when you look for that word, one phrase keeps up coming over and over and over again. And it's the phrase hard-hearted. To harden the heart, to be hard-hearted. And it's particularly important in the story of Moses and Pharaoh. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the character Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh is an interesting guy in the Bible. So the question I want us to begin with this morning, the question I kind of want us to to just kind of linger on for a while, is who is responsible for Pharaoh's heart? It's a big question in the text. So let's start by studying, by looking at a couple of scriptures that talk about who Pharaoh is. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn over to Exodus 1. Exodus 1. End of Genesis, the Jews had moved, the Jewish people, the children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham had moved over to Egypt because of a famine. Joseph was important. Here in Exodus 1, it says, Now a new king rose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile. Pharaoh can be described in the following ways. Pharaoh is genocidal. He is trying to wipe out a group of people. Pharaoh is evil. Pharaoh is opposed in every way to God. And ultimately, Pharaoh is oppressive of the, Egyptian, of the Israelite people. It's important that we recognize that. Because it's also important to see how Pharaoh is not portrayed. You may have seen the Disney movie several years ago, Prince of Egypt, where Pharaoh and Moses are friends to begin with. I think it's important to read in Scripture that Pharaoh is not kind. Pharaoh is not reasonable. Pharaoh is not any sort of good guy in this text. So if we have a clear picture of who Pharaoh is, the story goes on. After Pharaoh is introduced to us, the text introduces us to Moses. And God calls Moses to go before Pharaoh. God makes Moses a promise. He says in Exodus 4, 21, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Again, in Exodus 7, verse 3, he says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. As the story unfolds, we see that God fulfills this promise. In Exodus 9, verse 12, we see, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Exodus 10, verse 1, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart 
Again, in Exodus 10, 27 and 11, 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This happens over and over and over again, just as God had promised. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the Romans. And he reflected on this. He said, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh... I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then the Lord has mercy on whomever he chooses, and he hardens the heart of whomever he chooses. I spent a lot of time this week just thinking about this text thinking about what's going on, because there's a particular way of understanding this text that runs us into a big theological problem. If God is merciful to some, but hardens the hearts of others, just depending on what God chooses, does that mean that God takes away our free will? This is a big question. This is a question that has really big consequences for us. This question, if we answer it this classical way, that yes, God hardens the hearts of some, God's merciful to some, could lead us to this type of dilemma. Many of us have people that we've been praying for for a long time. People that we've been hoping will come to know Jesus. People that we have been sharing our faith with. People that we have engaged in Bible studies with. People that we think are good people. They just need to follow Jesus. And if this is right, if God hardens the hearts of some and is merciful to others just based on what he chooses, maybe God doesn't want them to follow Jesus. Doesn't that seem contradictory to the very nature of God? I think of John 3.16 and 17. I've thought of this passage a lot this week. For, so God lo- for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but ha- may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. In 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow about his promise. Some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Does God arbitrarily choose whom he's going to be merciful to and whom he's going to harden? I think we have to answer no. God gives us the ability to choose. God gives us free will. I've been reading C.S. Lewis a little bit lately, and he says this. He says, God created things which had free will. That means creatures which God, uh, creatures which can go wrong or right. Some people think that they can imagine a creature which is free but has no possibility of going wrong. But I can't. If a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? It's because free will 
though it makes evil, evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love, any goodness, any joy worth having. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love. And for that, we've got to be free. To love God, which is the greatest command according to Jesus, the most important thing that we are tasked to do, we must have the choice not to love. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love. So I say all that, and you're like, okay, Jordan, you started with Pharaoh, you got to free will, what is going on here? If God hardens Pharaoh's heart, did Pharaoh have a choice? That is the crux of the issue. That is the central problem here. We need to understand a few things about this language. First, when we're talking about the heart, we have to remember what we were talking about. The heart is the seat of the will in this passage. The second thing we need to understand is to harden is not to build. To harden is to strengthen. So when we talk about hardening Pharaoh's heart, what we are talking about is strengthening his will, strengthening his resolve. When I thought of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, I always thought of Pharaoh as this person who probably would have said yes. Pharaoh would have said, sure, your people can go, but God hardened his heart, and so God said, nope, they can't. But as I was reading this week and I was considering this passage, the thing that stuck out to me is the character of Pharaoh. When we remember that Pharaoh was already evil, Pharaoh was already opposed to God, Pharaoh was already against these Hebrew people, why would we think that God is making him choose something that he did not already choose? For God to harden Pharaoh's heart, we need to remember that Pharaoh's heart is opposed to God. God just strengthened his resolve. Pharaoh was a willing and active party. I'm sorry, that word was hard to get out. Pharaoh was a willing and active party in the hardening of his own heart. When we read in Exodus 8, 15, and 32, we read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. When we read in Exodus 9, 34, and 35, we see that Pharaoh hardened his heart against these people. And finally, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, when Samuel's reflecting on this history of Israel, he is saying Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and against these people. When God hardens Pharaoh's heart, this means that he strengthens Pharaoh's heart, giving him the fortitude not to let the plagues automatically dictate a decision to release the Israelites. Pharaoh was already opposed to God. Pharaoh was responsible for being opposed to God. God just strengthened that opposition. He did not make Pharaoh become opposed to God. The idea of a hardened heart is that a person whose will, which is formed by their own choices, is strengthened in opposition to God. 
when our hearts are in opposition to God, when our will is opposed to God, it is because we have chosen that. Not because God wants us to be opposed to Him. But God can use those who are opposed to Him. That's how the story goes with Pharaoh. God can use those who are opposed to Him for His glory. Paul tells the Romans that God raised Pharaoh up to show God's power. And if you know how the story goes, Pharaoh's on the receiving end of God's power. So what about us? What about you? Why would this matter? That's an old story. That's like one of the first stories. That's the story that the kids are talking about down the wing. Why does this matter to you? Two reasons. First, I think it's a warning. I think this story is a warning. I think it was a warning in the beginning. I think it's a warning now. And I think we need to receive it as such. I think this is how the writer of Hebrews uses this this idea. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's referring to Psalm 95 a few times. He uses this passage three different times. But the theme of the book of Hebrews is that God has spoken definitively through Jesus. And if you hear his voice, you should not harden your hearts. So when the author uses this passage, the implication is that we can choose to listen. We can choose to listen or choose to oppose. And we should listen. Do not harden your hearts. It does not end well for you. So for some of you this morning, some people who may be listening to this, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? In our class in Mark this morning, we were talking about new wineskins and old wineskins, how, how we have a particular way of listening to Jesus so that he fits into our ideas. But that's not listening to Jesus. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Are there ways that you are hard-hearted and opposing the words of Jesus. As the book of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews 4, when it's talking about this word of God that has come through Jesus, the author says that the words of Jesus can hurt. The words of Jesus are sharp. They are piercing. They judge our very hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. You are not going to fool him, and you will render an account to him. So we need to listen to the words of Jesus. We need to heed his words. We need to make sure we do not harden our hearts. So the first way that I think this story of Pharaoh matters is that it is, it is a warning. Second reason that I think it matters is because we can see the results of having hard hearts in the lives of people around us. Paul tells the Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18, he says, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. 
They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul says that hard-hearted people lose their sensitivity. As I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about several things that I've seen recently. Seems like hard-hearted people, when they lose that sensitivity, instead of seeing people, they begin to see stereotypes. I think that might be a result of losing sensitivity. Instead of naming evil for what it is, hard-hearted people tend to justify inappropriate actions, inappropriate words. Instead of forgiving, hard-hearted people hold grudges and make mountains out of molehills. Hold people responsible well past when they should. Hard-hearted people give themselves over to excessive and inappropriate sexual behavior. That's that licentiousness, every kind of impurity. Statistics bear out that there are many hard-hearted people in our world today. If you watch the stories on the news, it will not take you long to see this. But Paul continues by saying, this is not what you learned in Christ. And that's good news for us. We have learned not to be hard-hearted. When we surrendered to Christ, when we laid down our wills to Christ, when we were made alive in Christ, we were taught to put away that way of living and to be renewed in our hearts and in our minds. So when we look at our lives if we see this other stuff, we need to be asking ourselves the question, are we hard-hearted? Do I have a hard heart? That's my question to you. Do you have a hard heart? Is your heart opposed to God? The good news of the gospel is that if you answer yes to that question, Jesus can take care of it. Jesus can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Jesus can give you a new heart. Jesus can change your heart. It's a promise he makes. It is his invitation. But it must begin by understanding that you have a hard heart. We need to let go of our hard hearts and accept what Jesus is doing. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for your son, Jesus. We know that apart from Jesus, we have no hope. We have no salvation. God, apart from Jesus, our hearts will be hearts of stone. We will be hard-hearted, opposed to you in so many ways. God, you have given us a new life. You've given us a new heart. You've made us a new creation. God, we pray that you will continue to do that work in us. That you will continue to chip away at the things that we put between ourselves and you so that we can become more like Christ. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the salvation you offer us, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen.